Hello and welcome to episode four of Salacast this season. Um, hi, Glenn. How are you doing? Uh, hi, Ollie. I'm back. Uh, I've been had a nice holiday in Suffolk um, last week and missing the first game of the season, which is, um, yeah, I always tend to miss one of the f- opening games of the season, depending on when I have a sort of holiday in the summer, like most people, I guess. But um, yeah, got my first look at the, the new lads in a, in a competitive game yesterday. So yeah, quite motivated to get into this podcast and start to kind of g- give a few thoughts of the early views we've had, really. But um, yeah, rest, rested and relaxed, Ollie, and ready for a new season. That's where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, it should be an interesting game to cover and lots of discussion points going into it um, obviously there's potential fears that tickets were going to be a bit of an issue with the new system um, and obviously then obviously there's the kit was came out as well so off the field stuff to talk about as well um, so that should be quite good and and as you said Glenn um, yeah um, your brother's on the podcast this week yeah I mean having felt quite shunted the last two weeks because we invited Mike on episode one and two and then kicked him off for various reasons didn't we so yeah it's uh it's been good uh to have a few other voices on as well but yeah always good to have mike back as well um and you were there saturday weren't you with me watching the first game of the season but you've just been watching the highlights back haven't you because you did take your two small children um who are somewhat distracting at times aren't they mike when you're actually live at the game yeah that's right firstly i'll say it's very big of me to come back on the podcast after being uh, shunted off at late notice the other week so you know i just put that out there but yeah the kids are quite distracting so i just had to catch up on um all of the goal mouth action that we put together at the weekend. Yeah, but um, yeah, it'd be interesting to get through it because it's the first time I've seen a competitive fixture this season. I only saw Telford pre-season, so um, it was quite to see what they pulled together. Um, and yeah, it'd be nice to get your thoughts on it because I've, I've got my own, but I'll save them for later on. Yep, so it should be a good game to get into. Um, so yeah, let's jump into it. Sloppy clearance, ball passing around to First home game of the season then, Shrewsbury Town nil, Accrington Stanley won unfortunately, uh, a goal through Lee on 77 um, and a red card for Shrewsbury Town on 57 minutes for Tom Flanagan, which could have been different um, and also could have been a different player getting sent off, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a minute, um, guys. Um, good opening day attendance, I just thought I'd pick that out, I put it in the stats, but I just thought I'd pick it pick it up as well is um i think it was the third highest opening day attendance of all the league one seasons we've had recently just beaten by um funnily enough the last two seasons where we could go to the game so yeah 6100 with with only a couple of hundred well not even a couple of hundred from Accrington. that was a good attendance really for for opening day which was great um and before we get into the stats mike really just probably a, a word on um you know that atmosphere that open day kind of home game it's always kind of a, an interesting one isn't it to see see how everyone's getting on but um i thought it was thought it was decently decent on Saturday for, for some parts when the game was a bit more exciting than others? Yeah, you could tell people have been a bit starved of live football for the summer. Um, obviously, they've been watching the, the ladies on the telly, but you know, going to a ground and, and seeing something in person is slightly different. So I think everybody was up for it. I think um, some of the signings we've made have been quality. There's not been many of them, but the ones we've signed appear to be good footballers. So I think people were hopeful of a bit of an improvement. I think people were hopeful that, um, that you know, Accrington weren't great last season when they played at our place. So we could get a result. So I think there's a lot of optimism and positivity coming into the ground. So I think that feeds into a good atmosphere. Um, and then, you know, good numbers as well. And Accrington don't bring many. So um, it was mostly Shrewsbury Town in the ground. So hopefully, you know, at the start, we could be good atmosphere. And the flags in the south stand look great. So, yeah, at the start, it was a really positive experience, I think. I just on, on you as well, Ollie, there. They brought 186 Accrington, which is, I think, is up there in the top sort of 20 lowest attendances we had from away fans at the Meadow era, but in the new Meadow era. But um, it's just nice, really, to see that we're kind of still getting that 6,000 
home fans, uh, even against a smaller team. I know it was opening day, but um, you know, continuing that kind of pattern we saw a little bit last season, where the fans' uh, levels have recovered COVID, and and there is that, you know, six thousand. We'd have been dreaming of getting six thousand Shrewsbury Town fans in every week, wouldn't we? So um, yeah, it's obviously going to drop off on those Tuesday night games, but it seems like that that base is there for another season, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a good number, a good number for Shrewsbury Town. Not such a good number for Accrington Stanley. Um, which um, is all the more, all the worse, considering the last five or six games we haven't beaten them. Last time we beat them was in 2019, um, and since then we've had um, three, three defeats and three draws. So a team that can take um, 100 away fans for a League One game, um, we haven't beaten them in the last six. True, true enough. Yeah, we'll look at some stats before we get into quite, quite uh, where Accrington and ourselves might be in the pecking order this season. But um, yeah, five home debuts uh, to start off the the home season. Obviously, all of them got. At, uh, a bit of action um, on the away game last week, so they'd made their debuts, but always good to see the the, the new players for the first time at home. Um, yeah, I just was looking, we were briefly talking about it, the fact we've, we've obviously played two teams so far this season, and um, yeah, one of them's Morecambe and one of them's Accrington. So Morecambe away, Accrington at home. Two teams, I think it's fair to say, lads, are you know probably going to be down there with us or have been down there with us over the past two or three seasons. Obviously not for so long for Morecambe because they only came up two years ago, but um, you know teams that we would think that if we're going to have a good season um, and you want to be a better than 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th you're probably going to need to be beating but it's weird the last you know four times we played these two teams in the corresponding fixtures now home and away we've we've not scored a goal so it, it's it, it's interesting and just I've got some stats on the thing here I'll just run through them quickly and ask them your your thoughts really but you know last season against Morecambe away um, no goals 11 shots and only one on target obviously on Saturday just gone um, it was the same thing with no goals but slightly more shots 17 but again only one shot on target and then Accrington at home um, last season uh, again no goals uh, with nine shots in total and three on target and this season no goals 13 shots and four on target so overall you know looking at these games as as a like-for-like ratio between last season and this season slightly more shots but the concerning thing is, you know, that's four games against those weaker teams per se, no goal scored. And, and in reality, the difference between last season and this season, corresponding fixture for corresponding fixture, no real additional threat for the for the goalkeeper, really, which is a bit of a worry, really. Um, Mike, I, I suppose you can balance that with the fact that we do tend to do a little bit better against the bigger teams. But, you know, hopefully this pattern of not being able to beat the teams that are in and amongst us in a season doesn't continue, although the start of this season does show it kind of has, I guess, so far. Yeah, like on a bit of a tangent, often you'll recommend me... Um, things to watch on the television, films or TV programmes. And they're often sci-fi time loop dramas. And I feel like we might be living in one of these time loop dramas because it, it, mean, it seems like no matter what we do, the end result is basically the, the same, isn't it? You know, we, And that's why I said to you at the weekend, it's like, has there been a summer? Is this just last season? It felt very similar to last season. Um, so I'm not surprised that the stats from last season and this season are relatively similar because we seem to be playing a similar sort of style in a similar shape with similar players um you know the, the names change but the problems remain i think and that's quite telling from those stats you know that the shots and the shots on target you know broadly similar for two teams across two seasons um so yeah it's, it's a bit of a worry that we start the season uh, looking to have not made a huge amount of progress but it's early doors you know they could be working on things in training that are going to kick in in a few yeah. weeks there's a couple of players to come in so i'm not losing all hope but yeah it's a bit of uh, it's a bit of a worry i suppose and Ollie, do you take any comfort in that in the fact that you know we've we've seemed to have at least stepped up the total amount of shots we had in these corresponding games, like for like again, very small sample size, but always an interesting thing to do a like for like comparison. Um, do you take a bit of comfort in that, having watched the first two games and, re- and remembering back to those corresponding fixtures last year? Mm, the slightest slimmer of extra hope, like in this game, we had something like we had like what you said it was seventeen shots in this game, but um, nineteen yeah. of them, nine of them, sorry, were either blocked shots or off target. 
Um, and then, yeah, mm-hmm. we didn't score again. So obviously, you know, it's obviously two sides. You know, you can look at the result and go, yeah, but you know, we got this result, or you know, we didn't get this result. But then you obviously can look at the performance, and at the moment, neither are looking particularly good for me. Um, and we don't really look like scoring. Um, it just, yeah, it's it's really disappointing to be two games in, and I really thought that we, you know we wouldn't repeat ourselves. How many games are we going to go? Are we going to go into the fourth game again, not scoring? Um, I really hope not. Mm. And as Mike said, it. It just yeah, does feel like um, you know we're talking about the same thing on the podcast over and over again. I think it's fair what Mike said. I, I think you know we are a very small sample size, so let's just countenance everything we're saying. And it, it's it's a, just a, more of a wider debate, really. Before I look at these last couple of stats about red cards, but I, I saw a lot of people saying exactly what Mike said yesterday, um, and I sort of retweeted a range of views on Twitter yesterday, really, from everyone saying you know there was a lot of people saying same old shit or same old things or same old problems. That was kind of a bit of a pervasive thought, and there are other people saying too, too early to judge it, you know. And I think there's a balance between both of those, but I don't think you can really just dismiss the people who were saying same old trouble, same old problems, because you know we are we are you know a result of our experiences, aren't we? And, and frankly, having watched you know Steve Cottrell's team for the most part over the last period of time since he's got here, you know similar issues have been pervasive so I don't think you know we all start every season with a clean sheet but I do think you have to you know be able to think well we're still playing the same tactics it's the same manager we've still got the same sort of small squad issues we're still worried about injuries there are some things from last season Mike that you kind of do carry over into your thoughts even though you know all players start with a fresh slate and all that sort of thing it it is a bit difficult to shake off some things about last season when you start to think about where we might be going and having watched the first two games really yeah and I think it's um it's a bit of a symptom of that the the transfer business we've done looks they're good quality players but they're replacing good quality players so it's not like we have a net benefit you just it's sort of a one in one out it's like a nightclub policy isn't it so Ebanks Landau went out Dunkley comes in Dunkley looks like he might be a shade better than Ebanks Landau but he's not a million miles better on you know they're both very good League One defenders I think um, you know De Costa was good at the weekend but he's replacing Elliot Bennett who was probably one of our best players last season so again we're we're replacing a good player with a good player. It's not improving the overall team. Moore looks a, a trade-up on Dave Davis or whoever was playing in the anchor last season, so that was good. But then in attacking positions, you know, was Sean Morley any worse than uh, Shipley looked at the weekend? I think, you know, possibly Bayliss tried to get some stuff going, but, you know, it doesn't feel like the net result is better because, you know, the, the, we've still got the same amount of good players, I think, is probably, the, probably how I'd term it. So, yeah, I think he's... Cottrell said he was in the market still for loanies and things, but I think we do need more bodies of quality to, to make that team tick a bit, because otherwise we're going to be relying on the same players week in, week out. And we showed at the weekend when, when Bowman's off form and Udo's injured, we're going to struggle for goals, I think. Yeah. And Ollie, I think that's a it's a fair point there, isn't it? And you know, just just off from that wider point, I suppose, in terms of your hang, hangovers from last season, how do you how do you kind of feel about that? Do you kind of just mark every season as a brand new, fresh start, or do you kind of you know look at that more when when a manager's been changed? I guess then there is a completely fresh start, is there? But there is, there is a little bit of a, a hangover from some some people's thoughts clearly from what was going on last season into this season and and how it started. I think there is there is a fairness to that narrative, um, even though you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater after two games. You look at a manager, don't you? And you look at different. It's almost like different chapters of the same book um, and yeah Cottrell's into the yeah, third chapter now he's, he's had the scene between you've had the chance to recruit I think a fair summary from Mike in terms of we've we've improved it's really funny we've improved the better areas of the pit our strongest areas with new players so Mike's, Mike's mostly talked about defenders there and defensive midfielders um, but we haven't improved um, the attacking area which is still yeah. sorely missing 
that's what that's another thing I noticed. It's look like we were a hard to score against team most of the time last season. We're, we're we're built solidly defensively and we struggled to score. We're probably more solid defensively, but haven't addressed the scoring problem. So we'll just probably see more nil nil goals games rather than you know one nil losses. But I don't think that's a massive improvement that we needed. Um, we're still light up front and light in attacking areas and creativity on the weekend was a big problem. I see, if it didn't come from the wing backs, it wasn't coming at all, was it? No, and I think that's going to be that's one of the fascinating parts for me. Talk about this game to go through it and get into bits of the detail of why we thought um, we we didn't play that well. Um, it's a, it's a very complicated game, and yeah, mm. it's not the kind of game you necessarily discuss on Twitter because it's so it's quite complicated and it's quite interesting discussion. I think we'll get into when we get into the mm. game. Yeah, we've got lots to cover in the game, but I thought we'd just, we're just worth touching on that narrative, really. Yeah, I think no, that, you know, when you look at the debate amongst Shubertown fans and last just night, kind of, was definitely just building a, on that as well, a thought. It's, you've got a manager who's now obviously had another season um, and more time. And yes, you know, I think it's there this seem to be... Fans, obviously, online get very polarised. And then there's always been a, a bunch of fans that have almost like opinion police... And you're not allowed to share an opinion, and I think people are getting quite. There's a lot. It seems like there's a lot of tension online when people are sharing their opinion on the game, and unless they're cheerleading and saying everything's brilliant, they're being negative. Where people are just chatting about the game. So I think yeah, it's yeah. There's a lot of lot of tension and a lot of um, frustration. I think amongst town fans in on various different ways. People are frustrated with other people. People are frustrated with the team. People are frustrated with the manager. Um, I think we should need oh. some wins and some goals to to kind of cheer yeah. everyone up. I'd also say, though, you say that, and that's online, and online is a polarised place. You're either buzzing or fuming. Mm. In the ground, 1-0, we lost. Faint seemed very apathetic, actually. I thought people just sort of went, oh, okay, this is what it's going to be this season, and sort of and some went on their merry way a little bit. And some yeah. people tell me that Shrewsbury Town fans are one of the worst sets of fans like in the country or something. We are, we are very, uh, a very calm bunch overall. Um, even online, we're quite calm, I think. Compared to other fan bases, and I get that from Definitely. from neutral journalists and stuff who share that opinion. So, yeah, interesting yeah. tangent. Yeah, that's, it's fascinating, and I'm sure this will develop. You know, unless we unless we start picking up some wins a bit quicker, there'll still be that kind of narrative about last season and about you know we haven't even touched on it about pre-season how that went the same problem. So let's not do, do much into that because we might have to revisit this a few times, Ollie, if things don't pick up over the next few games, which do look hard. Just a couple of stats before we get into team selection, Ollie. I just thought I'd go and have a look at um you know red cards and a couple of bits to do with that, and obviously you know we'll touch on the the moment in its. But yeah, I had a look. The first um sort of uh, opening day red card for the for the first home game of the season since 2010-11 um, when Kevin McIntyre gets sent, got sent off versus Bradford. I bet not many people remember that. He got it for lying on the ground and then kicking out at a player who'd kind of fouled him. Um, but we were already 3-0 up um, from that Jake Robinson hat-trick at the time so I think it's one of those ones that went under the radar. But yeah, been a while since we had a, a red card on the opening home day, um, opening home, home game of the season. So other than that, Ollie, yeah, let's get into the game a bit more. Um, yeah, run us through what the team selection was, mate. Yeah, so t- same team as last week, um, same setup as well. Um, so Morosi um, in goal, Flamingham, Dunkley and Pennington in defence. And two defence midfielders of Leahy and Moore, um, two wing-backs, Nurse and DaCosta. Um, two number 10s, but um, sometimes not that attacking number 10s in Shipley and in Bayliss and then Bowman up front. Um, so I think I was hoping that Ado was going to come back, let's put it that way. Um, rather than expecting, but um, yeah, I was, I was hoping Ado was going to start. Imagine, imagine you felt the same, Glenn. 
yeah, it was a case of waiting and see. There'd been a little bit um, from Steve's press conferences and stuff where I, I thought he poured enough cold water on the chances of Adobe being back and starting in the week, really, which I was talking to Chris Hudson, who was on the podcast of the week, and he was saying he thought he'd given the game away and that it was pretty clear that Adobe wasn't going to start. So pro- probably wasn't expecting that quite as much as you, maybe. But um, I don't know, Mike, what do you make of the team selection? I suppose not too much, obviously, unchanged from last week. Um, uh, not sure you saw much of the game last week, did you, really, with, with holidays and stuff? But um, yeah, probably not a surprise it was unchanged. Yeah, and I think, again, breaking overall ground, small squad, not many changes you can make. Um, if Udo was fit, he'd have probably started. Um, if O'Brien could get himself in some sort of fitness, he's going to drop into that team. But outside of that, when you're looking at who's starting, you know, Bennett will go in somewhere at some point. There's only three people you can see going into that team um, from a starting position when everybody's fit. So it's going to be pretty slim pickings for the manager. So unchanged team, yeah, not, I'm not surprised. And I think you'll be reporting on a lot of unchanged teams this season. Yeah, like last year, Ollie. To be honest yeah. with you, let's be honest. It is. Yeah, the bench looked a little bit better, I think, um, with Ado being on the bench. Um, but yeah, still not a lot of options. Hopefully, hopefully those recruitments are coming because it's not just we need those rec- those extra recruitments to help us with the squad during the course of the season. We, I think we need them to to make a change in the game as well. Looking forward to getting Mike's opinion when Pollock yeah, comes true. in. But let's save that for later. Yeah, let's save that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. The, the lack of options. <laughs> So before we get into the game, lads, um, yeah, just a couple of things to touch on, really, um, in terms of two things that you just mentioned in the intro, Ollie, one about tickets and, and the various issues around that, I suppose, and um, the issues with getting in, really. So just me and Mike might as well just give our, our reflections personally, I suppose. I mean, I, I had a vibe. Um, I'd been down to uh, see the supporters liaison officers on the morning because um, I went to go and get the my kids the new kit and we'll touch on that a little bit later as well um, and I thought I'd pop over and see see the SLOs and um, we were just talking general and the fact that the, the ticket system had kind of failed twice during both those home preseason games um, I figured I'm probably just going to get there a bit earlier than I normally do so we ended up rocking up to the stadium about uh, I don't know 35 minutes before kickoff um, and then it was really nice I actually came in um, saw Martin Berry who a few town fans will know um, one of our one of our sort of London based well he's actually I think he's, he's sort of South End based actually um, had a really good chat with him um, about some of, some of the olden days which is always the best thing when you talk about the town um, but um, yeah so I, I was in pretty easy my ticket scanned um, it was slower the whole process seems slower um, the, the ticket thing takes maybe five seconds rather than just the one second and in you go previously but um, I'm not sure that's too much of a problem and I was in and, and presumed if everything was fine um, but uh, you, you came a bit later Mike and um, yeah things things were not quite running as smoothly I think by the time you got there were they it's a weird one I got the bus up from the Prince of Wales um, so we got to the ground about quarter two and walked round round past the south stand got to the west stand and there was a queue from uh, the gates stretching all the way back to the fence and then along the fence line and we thought yeah we're up for something here Yeesh. got in the queue and I could hear a lot of people talking about this is a cock up this is a shambles the crew, a typical town they cocked it up and from joining the queue, it probably took us a minute to get through the gate. So, although the queue was longer, it seemed to move quicker, which was weird. But they did open one of the big gates and just sort of start waving people through with paper tickets. So they took the paper tickets out of the queue and then they took a few season ticket people through. But like two, I, I took my two kids. My ticket worked. My daughter's ticket worked. My son's didn't scan. So the guy had to press the button to let him through. Um, it was relatively painless. Um, there's improvements can be made, but I don't think it was a huge problem. But then again, I didn't miss any of the match. The guys that did probably a bit more annoyed. Uh, and that's kind of the point, Ollie, is that a few people did miss the game. Um, and I'm led to believe from from talking to a few people today, the system did 
fail again after initially working for quite a while. I think it failed at like the point where the most people were trying to scan themselves in. Um, and to be fair to town, they had the usual kind of gateman knocking around. And I think they they obviously had a backup plan, which is commendable to the ticket office and understanding they were probably going to have some problems. Um, and it seemed like there was ladies and, and, and gentlemen on the gates that would just sort of look at your season ticket and nod you in or look at your paper ticket, like Mike said. So I think they did get those queues down as quickly as possible. But those queues that Mike found when he got there initially occurred because the, the system did fail, which is which is not great, is it? Um, but, um, you know, teething problems were all, always going to be there. Um, some were of the other they? issues I, I did read about, some of the people... Were they always going to be there? We know this has changed for a long time. It's such a, bore, oh, well. it's a boring topic, something to just cover for us on the Shooter Town podcast, but it's so boring, isn't it? It's just... Yeah, in today's day, you think you'd be able to scan a barcode and get into a, into a ground. <laughs> I guess we can let them off for the, for the first big home game. But if this happens against Derby in a big attendance, it's going to be absolute carnage. Particularly if the bloody away end fails, there'll be there'll be riots maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, it's something they obviously need to get on top of. And, and yeah, fair enough, they had a backup plan. But let's let's get to a point where we can just scan ourselves in. I'm a bit worried about the peaks of people arriving because the the process does take a little bit longer, Ollie. So you won't quite get through that turnstile as quickly as you used to. But maybe, maybe there'll be the efficiencies point they can bring from... to it. Isn't the whole point of automated turnstiles to get in faster? Mm. Yeah, I say from from my point of view, the the queue moved quicker than it did last time. Like last season, the queues were slower, but they were shorter. It was longer, but quicker. So, I think the system probably is quicker per person um, when it works. The problem is repeated scanning of the same ticket until it works slows it down. But if they scan first time every time, it will be quicker. I think. Yeah. And that, that is another issue some people are having, Ollie. We've, we've talked about this the other week, and we've had some of the cars not been printed right. My my son's is pretty ropey, but that got through, so maybe it wasn't as big of an issue. But I did read about a few people that had to go and um, just get nodded through because their cars weren't working. So, yeah, let's not lament the point too much. I, I think no, Martin Gaunt will have, have recognised the issues. Yeah, but um, fig- figuring out they'll, they'll get that sorted ASAP, really. And, and just before we, we, we get on to the start of the game, um, South Sand, the South Sand Flags lad did a really good display. Um, they had flags on pretty much what looked like most of the seats in the South Sand, really. And when the game started, they were all waving them viciously. Um, and it looked really good. I took a video on, on the Blue and Amber fans, if you want to look at that. But um, yeah, just wanted to pay my kind of com- commendations to the work the lads are still doing over there. and kind of getting the atmosphere it feels like more and more people just slowly drifting over there from block 19 it, it seemed quite quiet block 19 on saturday um so i think that you know slowly but surely it's becoming the place to be i guess um particularly maybe for some of those younger fans um that are coming into that first sort of period of standing on your own so again just just commending their work really i suppose and um yeah it's it's, it's good what they're doing over there mike isn't it i don't think we've really ever talked about it before but um yeah it's, it's pretty decent isn't it it's great like my kids are four and six and they were loving looking at the flags. They thought they were fantastic from where we sit in 17. Um, and I think you're right, a, a couple of people I work with have got young lads who just started going to see the town and they started in 1819, didn't like the vibe and they've gone straight over to the South Stand and they love it over there. So I think it's it's appealing to that younger, like you say, the guys who are just starting to come to watch and, 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 and here for a good time while having a sing and a chant. There'll always be a place for, for 19. I think, you know, you've got to have that sort of edgy end of your ground to make it a bit of an intimidating atmosphere but um, I think that the two combined are good but yeah South Stand's really kicking up a gear I think um, and I like it I like having an end um, as opposed to the sort of the end of a side I think having, having your own sort of cop light is a is a good thing for a football club I'm surprised you said that, Mike. You hate Liverpool. You might have said some other stand, you know, the Gallagher end or whatever. I'm surprised you said probably replicate the cop. Um, there we go. Uh, my my limited game. away um, end knowledge, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. What, where are we going to start looking at this match, Ollie? So before we get into this, so um, I was away this week. I was in Lancaster on Friday and then in, in Macclesfield um, meeting some mates and stuff, catching up on, on this weekend. But I have watched the game back, um, so obviously I'll be able to share an opinion on the game. But kind of before we kick off, how, what was the reception that um, Wally got? 
I'd say it was warm. He got a little round of applause. Everybody gave him a round of applause. He didn't clap back. He was focused on the game, but it wasn't like a stand innovation. Um, but I think we, I think we sort of made it clear that we appreciated him and that we were happy to see him back. Um, and I think we clapped enough to give him the impression that we wouldn't like him to score as well. You know, maybe have a day off today and kick on next week. So yeah, I thought it was nice, um, but not overdone. I think he obliged in that. I think he did have a day off. Yeah, yeah, he seemed to. To be fair. I would agree with Mike. It was pretty warm, to be fair, especially when they were. I was obviously there a bit before Mike was was in the ground um, when he first came out for his warm ups and some of the sort of. I think it was an announcement of, of kind of welcoming back, and he got a good round of applause there. I say maybe not stand innovation um, when he when he started the game, um, but I think he got a bit of a stand innovation when he got subbed off. To be fair, um, which was kind of like it felt like that was the the send off he never got because of the issues at the end of last season, Ollie, which was which was really good to see in some respects, and he, he had a bit of a stinker, so that was fine. Um, but it was quite funny when uh, he got booked during the game, didn't he? Mike and a few, a few people were like, "Boo! He's terrible! He's trying to foul one of our players," yeah. which was quite amusing. So in, in general, he had a good. He day. Got, um, yeah, he got he got booked for no, he didn't get booked for diving, but he did a dive at one point as well, which sort of rolled back the memories. And every time he sort of massively smashed, and that's he smashed, really smashed over, hit across. Um, yeah, it's funny you say that. I saw you, I saw you tweet that, Glenn. You thought it was a foul. It's interesting. Mike thought that that was a foul. That wasn't a foul as well. He, he dived. He didn't. He got he got kicked by Moore. He didn't even go anywhere near the ball, and it was a foul. <sighs> So it's sometimes funny. It's funny it? sometimes watching that game back, or we're not watching the game, you know, on on on, on TV think, or whatever. It wasn't. A, it wasn't we're probably just expecting him to die back. Yeah, he wasn't experienced. Yeah, you you yeah. were missed. You're on Sean Wally an apology for that one. He didn't die. You better apologise, Mike, because Mum will be on your case, won't she? She's still Sean Wally's number one fan, yeah. I think. So um, yeah, we should apologise if it wasn't a dive. Um, but yeah, Mike's right. It's perception, isn't it? You know, I've seen him <laughs> do it for town over the years so many times. Uh, it's pretty pretty uh, fair for us to assume he was doing it for them. But um, yeah, I mean, there's not really much more to say about Wally in general um, and his performance level. He had a couple of decent runs with the ball, and there was a few times where he thought it was going to bounce out to him on the edge of the area, and he was going to rifle one into the top corner from 25 yards. But it just didn't quite happen for him on the day. Um, and and uh, you know, there's not there's not much too much more to say about. Wally no. and the game really was there, uh, Mike. Yeah, I would just say it was, a sh- it was a shame when he got subbed off. He was right by the touchline, so it's not like he even got to walk across the crowd and and, and the crowd sort of realised he was going off and, and get a clap. Like he was, his number went up and he went off within maybe sort of ten seconds. So he sort of got a half stand innovation from those that were, were paying attention. But yeah, it would have been good if he'd been sent across the other side and got that sort of clap off that he deserved at the end of last season. But um, yeah, he had a bit of a poor game. There was a couple of flashes where he. He skinned his full back and what got past Nurse and got cut crosses in, and those crosses were generally massively overhit. And then I thought, yeah, I, yeah, I can see what we used to get frustrated with him about. But God bless him, he's a legend. So um, hopefully he has a great season for Accrington after to, after the weekend. That's all I can say. I'm sure Steve Potter was pleased that he didn't have a storm of a game. <laughs> yeah, that would have been that really interesting. But yeah, all worked out in terms of for that, and it's great that Sean Wally's got a contract. Um, so yeah. in terms of the start in the game, um, it, this is a funny one. We're going we're to try and go through this game. Just there's not a lot of moments to talk about. Um, there's a few moments, good opportunities for Shrewsbury, but overall, I thought it was worth saying probably as a low quality game overall. Um, but I think it's fair to say that Stanley started better, mm-hmm. and they were very much camped in our half and, and won quite a few um, few corners, um, few corners, Glint. Yep, they definitely started the best. Um, bit of a worry watching those first 15 minutes, really. Um, they seemed to get the ball a bit more than us, had a bit more possession. 
sort of controlled it. We're, we're passing it around nicely. We really struggled to get out. To be honest, we were Bowman very isolated in that in that opening spell, um, and you know didn't didn't look like we were we were going to really get into anything you know rhythms per se. But I think you know it was an indication of how we grew into the game. Really, was how poor we were in those opening fifteen minutes. Um, but their corners were poor. It, they, Wally wasn't on corners interestingly for them. <laughs> so no, that's an interesting observation of our last seven seasons. Um, and but you might as well have been because two of their corners, Ollie, they just did them straight out of play. So um, there's not a, obviously a lot of quality at Accrington when it comes to set piece delivery. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, overall, I, th- I thought we just struggled to get going a little bit. But um, yeah, my first 15 minutes of the season, I wasn't going to make too many judgments on that. Yeah, and I thought Town did then come into the game like 15 minutes or so in. Um, our probably first attack from open play was a De Costa cross. Um, it deflected and Bayliss um, got a connection on it, but it goes wide. Um, and then I thought, yeah, then I thought we kind of reverted back to Stanley being on top again. Um, I thought it was really interesting that Stanley seemed to be able to win all the second balls. Um, and Shrewsbury really struggled to, to keep possession, uh, which is quite frustrating. Uh, balls are going up forward to Bowman um, and Mike and he, I don't know, overall, I don't, people say that sometimes Bowman is a target man. I don't really see him as a target man. Um, he didn't, I don't think he had a great game in terms of winning possession and keeping the ball up front. No, I don't think he is a target man, but he's played as a target man. And I think he's, he's doing the best job he can as a target man. I'm sure he'd much rather be running onto three balls and slotting um, you know, one-on-one chances with the keeper because I, I feel like that's his game more than being a big bully up there. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where we're judging a guy doing a job that's not his job. You know, it's not what he's, it's not what he's best at. Um, but I think he, he works terribly hard and he puts himself about and he gets involved in challenges. He throws himself up ahead as where he can, yep. but he's, he's not the tallest and he's not the strongest. Um, he needs to have better chances created for him. I, I've, I could hear around me quite a lot of negativity about Bowman at the weekend, um, but I think he's—I think he's a decent striker. I think he'll score enough goals. He scored enough goals last season. Service is the problem, and playing to his strengths. And I don't think we are. We're perfectly honest. Um, and it's—it's a—it's a—it's a sort of result of the system. It's a result of the recruitment. Um, but there's a good striker in there. I think he, he works hard enough to get to get a handful of goals as a, as a backup to Udo. Um, that's where I see him. But I don't see him as a, as a target man classically. You know, get it, get it down, pop it off. It's a waste of a, of a finisher, I think. He's better in a two, isn't he, Ollie? He's always been better in a two. I think most of the games I've ever seen him play up front on his own when we've been using that tactic and yeah. Ado's been missing or whoever was around didn't play, he's, he's always been better in a two. Um, you remember that sort of purple patch him and him, him and Ado had last season playing as a two? You know, if we get back to that this season, I don't think anyone's going to complain too much or he might form a, a partnership with O'Brien if Ado's niggles keep continuing. So I think there's you know, clearly going to have a massive role to play in this season. I think the, nigg- the niggles and the problems that Mike talks about are maybe as a result of the fact that, yeah, he doesn't get the service, but one of the chances we'll talk about in the minute not not the first one on the volley but the second one where it kind of got rolled into him almost on the penalty spot and all he's got to do is steady himself and sort of just steer the ball in and he, and he, and he puts it wide it's chances like that that get missed that I think maybe are one of the reasons why people kind of think he's not going to be quite as clinical as we need but did a good enough job last season and obviously two games in not going to write him off I think he's, he'll have a role to play but this wasn't one of his better games yeah, I agree, Glenn. It was a frustrating one for him. Um, I thought the, the the one he had, the first kind of chance he had was that long ball from Nurse, and it bounced high. It was quite hard for him to get the ball under control, um, and then defender put the body on the line, um, and that ended up going out in the end. Oh, he ended up being substituted. Um, and actually, I think talking of delays, um, I think actually the delays um, and the kind of three main setbacks in terms of time and injuries that happened in the first half really kind of I think knocked Stanley out of their stride. Truth we weren't really in a stride. Um, but yeah, I thought definitely that Stanley struggled after all the delays. 
Um, and then we come on to this yeah. chance that you're talking about, Glenn. So a, a, a really good raking long pass from Moore, fantastic ball, out to DaCosta, who runs in, cuts in, and he crosses on his left foot, a pearl of a cross, um, and Bowman shoots on target. Um, not a bad effort, but um, kind of you'd hoping to do a little bit better there. Um, and then there was another opportunity a few minutes later, which kind of summed up our, our, our play, really, in this game. Uh, a lot of the times we'd get into good areas. Um, a pass for DaCosta... Um, was hit too long this time it was more but before that Bayliss had done it as well and in the final third things just aren't clicking at the moment we're in that we're in that twilight zone that Mike mentioned aren't we Ollie you've said that a few times over the years um yeah I think I think what you just said is, is completely fair I just want to touch back on the break the breakages and the stoppages you're completely right on the day it was a, a quite a low there wasn't much of an atmosphere in the first half it was much better in the second half but um obviously the red card got people's uh, emotions a bit more heightened but yeah it was obviously bitty stoppages and they they had an injury and a man went off and they had to make early changes they think they made five subs overall because of some of the niggles they were having but it was also drinks breaks which took a little bit of the life out of the game and um you know we'll touch back on Bowman's chance in a minute Mike but that was the nature of the first half wasn't it, it was very bitty stop start and you know we were doing a lot of chatting in that first half weren't we was the game was kind of paused for various for various elements and it just it didn't you know as Ollie said low quality game I don't think that really helped a, a game of football start for, for too many periods in that first half yeah and I don't, I don't think it was it was by design by Accrington. I don't think they were sort of um, play acting for time or, or anything like that. I think it was just one of those games where things just sort of keep to keep happening and, and and breaking the game up. I don't think the referee had a very good game. I thought he was he was an impediment to us watching a good game of football. Um, but even with the heat, I think you know there was an element of people just taking a breather. Um, we took drinks on halfway through the first half, I think, didn't they? So it was it was quite it was quite bitty because it was a hot day, and and I think that doesn't help a game flow. So yeah, not not easy to watch, and not easy for either team to get into a rhythm really either. Um, so yeah, it just becomes a bit frustrating. Then I think that you know we might have been the better side on paper, but it kind of brings us down to their level and stops anybody really making a head of steam, doesn't it? In a game, um, you can't launch attack after attack to to sort of build up a bit of confidence, I think. that It's difficult to get going then, isn't it? Yeah, my, my view of that first half, Ollie, I mean, we can touch about... There was, I think it was one last good chance as well, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, um, a couple of chances. It was a ball across. across. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was um, Shipley, wasn't it? Sort of sort of shot from a corner. Quite a nice little work training ground corner routine, yeah. little one short corner, and then Shipley cut in and fired it along. And it, again, just needed a touch of a stud and it would have gone in but for me it was a pretty even half when you when you balanced it all out and um, it was interesting for me that we actually looked the best when we attacked in that game when we counter-attacked which seems odd when you're playing Accrington at home you know you think our ambition might be a little bit more than to counter-attack a team like Accrington but you know cl- clearly they've, they've done alright at the start of this season so maybe we shouldn't be so judgmental and maybe shouldn't try and place teams in a pecking order um, but yeah I, d- I don't know it just was a, just was not a very good half of football from, from us and they weren't much better um, yeah and uh, yeah low quality game I think you put that in the agenda as well Ollie. it was a yeah. pretty fair summation of that first half really yeah, the chance that Bowman had um, was the best chance of the half. He really, really should have scored there. You could see how frustrated he was and that he didn't put the ball in the back of the net. And it was, it was, it was an odd, get, odd game. So Stanley had nearly 60% possession, uh, but only had three shots on target. Shrewsbury had only obviously nearly 40% possession, seven shots on target. And while there was a lack of quality, um, oddly and interestingly, that's why it's quite hard, it's a complicated game to kind of discuss that even though I thought we played poorly in possession and we often passes were going astray, occasionally when it clicked, we did get in on goal. It was really strange. And also we've talked about a couple of chances and we've got some chances to talk about in the second half as well. So while we didn't play well, um, a couple of moments of quality from the players meant that we got into those chances. But unfortunately, we just can't take those chances at the moment. 
couple of moments of quality got us into that position, Mike, but then a lack of quality <laughs> let those chances go by. That's probably a fair description of the whole match, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, th I think so. I think I have some sympathy for Bowman and, and Shrewsbury Town strikers in general. Um, if you were getting one good chance a game, um, you'd be a Premier League striker, you'd take more. You know, yeah, you know, if you're, if you're trading on one or two chances a game, even a fifty percent strike rate is good. Then, isn't it? You know, like so, they've really always, you know, they're always, they must be snatching at stuff because they're not, they're probably not expecting to get a chance again. So you look at Bowman in this game. Yeah, he had that one good chance where he, he sort of scuffed it and dragged it wide. That was probably his only chance in the box that he had to score a goal. He had the one that came in from Bayless, but that he was sort of stretching for it and trying to beat the defender. You know, two, two chances in the game. It's not great for a striker to trade on. So. I've got sympathy for him, and, and you say a lack of quality. I think I think a huge potential striker is under a lot of pressure to convert every single chance they get because they maybe get two a game if they're lucky. It's a real sort of finishes chance. I think that's a really really fair point. You know, we can be very critical of players and strikers taking their chances, but I think it's fair to say you know league on striker, as you say, like perfect summary. If, you know, if you're taking your chances, even you know Harlan didn't take all of his chances um, this afternoon in the Premier League, and he's a what eight hundred eighty million, hundred million pound striker. And you, we've got exactly. Bowman in League One, and he's, yeah, he didn't take his one clear cut chance. We're critical of him, which is fair, I think, but uh, you've got to put it into context. And yeah, I think it's a hard, it's a hard graph being a striker for Shrewsbury Town. For a long time now as well. That's the hardest, that's the frustrating thing about it. It's um, it's interesting. It was another chance he did have, which we've totally forgotten about in the first half, where he got put in one on one, and he, he just delayed, didn't he, Mike? I remember we were talking about this, and, and he could have had a shot a bit earlier. So that you know, it, he didn't just have the one chance. There was that one as well. But um, I totally I, agree. I, I talked about that one. Not a lot. I did talk about that one. Oh, did we? Okay. Yeah, Sorry, the one with the injury. I'm not listening. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, but even um, that one, he it's a long ball from the back, and he receives the ball outside the box. He's still got to get into the box. He could have just hit it first time, but he's. It's not. He's not getting chances in the six-yard box or the, by the penalty spot. That's the point of it, and that's where strikers should make their money. All our strikers have to do an awful lot of work. And you look at Udo last season. He was scoring from outside the box or, or going past two players before he scored. A, I don't think that's a long-term sustainable strategy for a striker. It should be, but also it just it just means that they're always having to fashion their own chances as well. Yeah, I feel like most of Bowman's goals last season were pretty close range as well, which is, you're right, Mike, that's where he does most of his good work, so that's probably a fair point to say. But just going back to the game, um, second half, we actually started all right in the first few minutes of this half. We seem to come out with a little bit more of a of a kind of drive to maybe go on and get that opening goal. Um, I'd, I thought that the way we improved in the first half was DeCosta started getting forward a little bit more, Ollie, and that was pretty much um, continued as we started the second half because he was really involved in a couple of good moments um, where he, he had two chances within sort of close order, didn't he, Mike? Um, I think one of them was uh, he got down the right um, into the right hand side of the box and, and he smashed a, a shot into the side netting and then the second chance he had um, he kind of was again in down the right he looked quite good running forward kind of ran out of player a little sort of old better-esque I thought at times um, cut in and then tried to curl one and the keeper made a really good save and it was quite nice he, he suddenly looked like a player at the end of that first half and into the second Mike that kind of could get you off your seat at times and um, I think that was kind of the, the start and the end of the end of the first half and start of the second half was really a nice little cameo of a half an hour for him to kind of give us an idea of what we might see from him for the rest of the season yeah I thought he was really good I, you'll see later on I put him as my man of the match which on reflection he was probably at fault for the goal so probably shouldn't have done but um, any any sort of attacking intent we had the best stuff we had came through him the, the cross he cut back and put on his left the cut in and the shot on, on his left again um, he looks like a really good attacking player and I'm really glad we signed him my issue is is that we already had a good player in that position in Bennett so as we, as we alluded to earlier on we're, we're strengthening strong positions already um, unless that frees Bennett up to go and play in the middle. But um, no, he, on, on the first viewing, he looked really good. He looked really direct. He looked really full of purpose. Um, 
so yeah, a good signing by the looks of it so far. And Ollie, he, that that second chance he had of these first two in the first half was a really good chance, wasn't it? And you've got to credit the keeper for what was a really good save. I think you know, had that gone in, the game would have been completely different. Yeah, it was a good run, good run, and obviously in fair play to him for having a shot on his left foot. Um, it was an okay save. I don't think it was too difficult for the for the goalkeeper to save. Maybe he didn't expect him to shoot on his left, so kudos to that. And I think it was good for me to see that um, the Costa is comfortable on his on his right and his left. He put good crossing on his left as well, so that can yeah build us um, some confidence and gives us some hope going forward. Um, so that yeah, that, I thought that was quite good. Um, and yeah, just kind of I think worth while we're talking about De Costa, I think also it's worth um, talking about Bayless as well. I thought when he got into those dangerous yep. areas, um, he did well. He's got really good awareness about him. Um, he he linked and, and left set up uh, De Costa quite a few times, and and when he gets in those areas, he looks um, he looks quite dangerous. And um, we'll come on to a bit of a wider discussion about the number tens later on. Um, but yeah, I thought when he when he got in those areas, he was really good. Um, unfortunately, Glenn, the game kind of um, then kind of fell into a, um, I don't even know how to describe this, um, a farce. Um, Self-inflicted and, um, wound. Yeah, and Steve Cottrell's teams, one of the most consistent thing they have is their love of the red card. <laughs> well, and, and more than the red card, the love of a bloody bunch of handbags and, and a yeah. little bit of a ruck with the opposition because, um, you know, we we talked about this last season um, when when was it last season or the end of last season I can't remember what it was now but I was talking about the fines we got last season for the trouble against Gillingham and I forget the other team it was against now but you know we've been going through this stepped up phase of getting um, fines on the FA for failing to control our players who knows if we'll get cited for what happened on Saturday again but I wouldn't be shocked because um, you know that tends to be the thing that referees do take a note of and every time you obviously make that same mistake having had the warnings and fines from the FA you tend to get a higher fine so Christ knows we, I think the last one was 25k I think you know you get ratcheted up to maybe fifty thousand pounds now, which is not you know money we can be throwing around as a football club. Clearly, when we look at some of the off-field issues we're having with potentially staffing and, and not quite you know being able to afford to kind of get back up to where we were pre-COVID. So you know avoiding those sort of fines is pretty important for a club of our size post-COVID, and um, it's not something we seem to be able to get on top of. Um, and again, you know maybe a narrative that we're bringing over from last season, but I think a fair one because you know there have been a lot of times, Mike, in in the last season and a half under Cottrell where we've had these little bits of handbags where we've we've lost control and composure and and most of the times it's ended up costing us points or it's ended up costing us goals hasn't it and 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 going from good positions to bad positions so yeah we can talk about the specific incidents but the, the wider context mike i suppose really is um be nice if we didn't have to keep seeing very professional footballers you know we talk about all those leaders on the pitch and everything it'd be great if we could see those leaders on the pitch not make stupid errors yeah i don't get it either you know if you sat them all down and said name one occasion where getting in a scrap and throwing somebody on the floor and shouting at a referee has ever changed anything positively for a for a team in a game of football? It doesn't. I never I never understand why, on the wider on the wider point, any footballer gets involved in that stupidness because it doesn't ever end well. You just get a booking or something. Like just get on with the game. And but we seem particularly prone to, you know, going in and start you know start pushing people around and you know getting in people's faces. I, I don't know. If it's us trying to sort of impose ourselves on the game because you know, technically or, you know, physically we're not competing in the match, maybe we want to sort of get in people's faces, but I just think it always ends up in trouble for us. Now we're going to miss one of our best defenders for a match. Um, so we're going to have to shuffle the pack and move people into different positions. More might have to come out of the, the central midfield where he played well. So now we've got to fill that gap. It disrupts us building any harmony as a team in a system. Um, and you'd think Cockrell would sort of be saying to him, stop getting sent off, you idiots. It doesn't help us. But, but is he? But, but why are we getting? Why are we having players sent off all the time? It didn't happen 
Didn't happen under Mickey Manon, didn't happen under Askey, didn't happen yeah. under Ricketts. I saw, a, I saw somebody put on Twitter, um, a team reflects its manager. He's quite spiky, he's quite fiery. He likes to get in the faces of reporters and journalists and, you know, um, perhaps he G's them up, you know, the old crazy gang mentality to go out there and kick lumps out the opposition and compete physically and it just spills over. Possibly that's, you know, a symptom of, of who the manager is. Um, I don't know enough about his, his history as you know at Bristol whether his teams were like that in other at other teams, but um, it seems to be he keys them up and gets them out there um, quite quite um, ready to fight for the badge if anything else. Yeah, it's odd, and on this instance, let's go into it. So Morosi um, goes and catches the ball. He takes offence to an Accrington Stanley player standing near him. I gen- generally don't understand what he is crying and whinging about. He's acting like a child. So you have Morosi acting like a child, uh, and then he kind of puts his arm up. The, the Rackington Stanley player goes down like a little child as well. And then for some reason, it all starts kicking off. And then Flanagan, who's supposed to be a leader and an experienced pro, decides to wrestle a um, Rackington Stanley player to the ground by flinging him. Um, and then all the melee then kicks off. And, and then um, we can only assume from the, the, the clips, I'm sure a lot of people have seen online, that Flanagan then gets a second yellow card for dissent, and it's 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 just so unprofessional, and it's and it, it's, it's, it's played a big part in costing us this game and three points. Well, hundred percent cost us this game. There's no doubt about it. This was the moment that meant that we didn't take anything from the match. Simple, simple as that. And self-inflicted wounds, as you said before. You know, only Shrewsbury Town can win a free kick and end up getting a mountain off from it. You know, that is classic Shrewsbury Town, isn't it? It's, it's about as stupid of a red card as you could possibly have at the end of the day. You know, Morosi's got a free kick because he thinks the guy's backed into him when he's catching a high ball. Um, he takes an umbrage to it. Fine, take the free kick, it's crack on. It's not like on. the player or something. And even if he did... <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't, he didn't do anything. It, you, you just, no. he acted, Morosi actually falls over Flanagan, if you look. He, he goes up to catch the ball and Flanagan's leaping down behind him and he, he pivots over him and he thinks it's the, the Ackerton player. The Ackerton player's just sort of stood next to him, like you say. Um, so it's a bit of a comedy of errors, really. And, and the handbags thing is the thing that gets me right. Me, me and Mike in, in New Ollie for a certain bit of time with us played for the away supporters for years and years and years, right? And you know, you build up that partnership with your friends and, and your, your teammates can become your friends, and your teammates are your teammates. You you, you run through brick walls for your mates, won't you? Um, and I can understand when you know we've seen situations where you know a player who's lost his head has absolutely smashed into the back of one of our mates' legs and, and potentially could have broke a leg or you know could have really damaged and injured someone. And I can understand why then there's that certain circumstance of running in to protect your friend from something which was outrageous. But why some of the handbags we've had have been over massively innocuous little fouls and niggles and not like you know huge leg breaking challenges where you've had to step in and, and you know there's a need to stand up for your mate. This this was the least important one of all of them. It was like literally not even really anything in it and um, and we'd won the foul so I, that's what I find difficult to understand and, and you know maybe a professional footballer would tell us different that you've, you've got to do it and there's a, there's a reason why but you know at our level when we play football I'm not, I'm not sure we, we would always go rucking into the someone back, backing into a keeper or, or, or a mildly innocuous challenge I, I didn't quite, that's one of the things I don't quite get at the moment is we seem to be steaming in for these handbags from absolutely nothing sometimes Mike Yeah and it, it, it does sort of reduce the credibility of when they do steam in on a, on a significant thing because they seem to be going for everything Um I'd have thought I would have thought Leahy would have got in there and calmed it down, but it kind of happened pretty quick. So I don't think you can sort of blame anybody for not breaking it up. Mm. But it's just one of those annoying things. And as soon as it happened, all the people around us—I think you kind of echoed around the stadium. Everybody looked at each other and said, "Oh, we'll take the point now," because there was no chance with ten against eleven we were going to create enough and we were going to do enough to win that game. Um, 
you know, as Accrington tired, we did create a few chances, and with with equal numbers, I think we could have won the game personally. But we just shot ourselves in the foot with with, with half an hour, well, twenty minutes to go, half an hour to go. Um, it's a it's a waste of the, probably the the part of the game where you're most likely to get something. Mm. Well, one thing you might not have seen from all of the the shenanigans while well, we watched watching on the telly, but we're in the is there was one person trying to play peacemaker, wasn't there, Mike? Who, who was Sean Wally? He hadn't quite been subbed off there, but he he was trying to play peacemaker between his new his new colleagues and his old colleagues at a time there. So yeah, maybe maybe he was trying to stop someone getting sent off, but uh, it didn't it didn't work unfortunately. And and you know it, I think you know I've got to be as harsh on Flanagan as I was on Vela when he got sent off at the end of last season. You know it, when we were kind of in a game, and I think that ended up costing us. You know, experienced professional. You know, that's had hundreds and hundreds games um for me you know yeah, i just don't, i just don't like to see it i've always said i can accept it when you've got younger kind of firebrand younger players who, who might have it in him you know that rooney type character that rogers type character um but for someone from flanagan's experience and, and and sort of experience in the game um not not good for me so um yeah a bit of a bit of a black mark against him on this saturday and do you think we're gonna well, we already have a, a reputation now as well which doesn't do which is something Possibly. you don't need and it's something that will, could fire back on us when we're actually an innocent party in the future the ref was clearly not taking our, our nonsense for the rest of the game because he just started giving them every free kick and, and waving our players away and gave a couple of funny decisions, even worse funny decisions than he'd done beforehand. So clearly he was a bit chipped off with our behaviour during this moment because um, I think it changed the way he refereed the game. But have we got a reputation? I don't know. I don't think this incident occurred because we've got a reputation. It, it just occurred because no, no, of the fact No, no, but I'm just that, saying it's, it's happened a lot as we've, yeah. we've talked to. It's, it's, yeah. not, it's not helpful. It's happened a lot and we haven't got punished for it. You know, there's been quite a lot of handbags in games, particularly towards the end of the season, which didn't get yellow cards or anything from them. So, um, you know, we've dodged a few bullets at times. But it's, it's definitely something we could do again on top of because, as I say, we, you know, it's, a, it's, cost, it's cost us the game and there wasn't very much in the game going on from this point, was there, really? Um, it got very bitty, broken down the game. Uh, they got on top. It was just a matter of time until they could try and figure out how to score, which I didn't think they... I didn't think... It's one for my career, I suppose. I didn't think Accrington were really good playing against 10 for quite a, quite a period, really. They, they struggled, didn't they? It was quite a non, nothing game up until they did get that goal yeah I, I don't think they were that good I, I don't think they you know no. they didn't at any point dominate us we didn't look like we couldn't compete with them we, you know when we had 10 out 11 we naturally just sat back a bit more um, we didn't really have an out ball at that point so the ball would get put into us we defend it quite competently and it would just get cycled back into us so eventually the sheer number of, of chances they create and the amount of possession they have in our box it will tell eventually so the goal itself kind of comes out of nothing it's just a bit of a hopeful cross into the box um, and their striker's got the run on to Costa. He's nowhere near him, and it's you know it's it's essentially a free header. It's a good header, um, and it gets gets it past Morosi. But it's you know it wasn't like they they cut us apart with liquid football. It was just a, a ball in and a header. Um, so even then we we shoot ourselves in the foot by making it very easy to score as well. I think so. Um, it's all a symptom of being down to ten. I think personally. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a fair summary, Mike. It was yeah we obviously they had an extra man. It was a. The, the fullback was in quite a deep position when he crossed the ball, so yeah, it probably should have been closed down, but it wasn't really in a dangerous area. It was a really good ball into the box, though. Um, a superb, absolutely superb header. I don't think he could have headed it any better, um, but I think it is disappointing um, that De Costa um, lost his man and then he wasn't goal side. I'll also point out that the guy that scored um, was Flanagan's man. So if Flanagan had been on, it wouldn't have been De Costa trying to mark him, it would have been Flanagan because he'd been the guy that he'd been sort of competing with most of the match really he was the guy that there was the tussle with for the penalty I think um, so again just a symptom of if you go off and you have to shuffle the pack a bit it, it, you, the game plan goes out the window a little bit because the people are picking up different men and yeah it's just really frustrating 
it's fair enough. We did shuffle the pack a few times from that red card. You know, we changed things around maybe three or four times tactically, especially towards the end. Then when we were chasing the game, so and we probably just became a bit more disjointed as a result of it. I thought, yeah, I would agree with that. It was a really good header, actually, a proper proper striker's uh, header, wasn't it? Really, from from not a, a close distance, it was a fair distance out as well, wasn't it? But yeah, I, I think um, it's frustrating because when you watch the whole game, even with ten men, it's about the only challenge in the box that one of our defenders didn't win a header. Like Dunkley was just imperious the whole game. Yeah. Pennington and and Flanagan when they were heading balls away, pretty much one everything as well so you know it but took us losing numbers, one of those though, in terms of numbers yeah. um, Dunkley had so many headers to win and he won loads yep. he had yep. so many more than um, Flanagan or Pennington which um, yeah it's, it's weird it's weird that it's yeah that Stanley kept going back to the same man all the time and he kept winning those headers and Mike was talking mm. a little bit about Stanley a moment ago Stanley dominated the possession and dominant was a word that the new Shooter Town um, Shropshire Star reporter used and there's a bit of discussion yeah. about even using the word dominant. He thought he said that Shrewsbury were dominant, and Shrewsbury weren't dominant at all. And we were dominant in terms of creating the better chances. Stanley were dominant in terms of possession, but they were very poor going forward. Um, it was a yeah. yeah. It was a, like we say, like I said at the start, it was a. It's an interesting game to try and um, discuss. I haven't watched Stanley. I can see why they signed Wally. Probably the sort of player they need. Someone who can get on the ball and run forward and maybe make them a bit more uh, dynamic in attacking midfield positions and, and into that forward position. So, you know, probably answers some of the questions that maybe they maybe had last season and, and maybe are starting to address, um, although it didn't show on Saturday. But, yeah, that was it. As soon as they scored, it was pretty much game over, wasn't it? You couldn't see us coming back, Mike, even though it was 13 minutes and those 13 minutes went by in a bit of a blink of an eye with very little goal mouth action at either end. Um, tried to make some final changes. I think he'd brought a doe on. Um, he made a couple of, couple of of half decent runs and then Pike came on he probably he made a couple of half decent runs but neither of them really got involved in the game all that much I didn't think in terms of trying to get us back in it um and I think it was Bay- Bayliss and, and Bowman are the ones that went off but yeah interesting you know we can make five subs now only made the two even chasing the game um yeah just you know I suppose it's it's going to come isn't it that we've got really not much else on the bench I guess um on so the that bench, was it then, the game just filtered away a record of number of substitutions because what we've we done what four substitutions out of a possible ten or something so far. Um. <laughs> it ain't going to change anytime soon. He's not going to bring on those young lads. Um, although chasing a game, you, you might as well. Actually, didn't we make three? Didn't he bring on Bloxham right at the end, Mike? I might have got that wrong. I think he did bring on Bloxham. I think yeah. we saw him. Didn't Do you remember? I turned to you. Uh, yeah, about, about about ten minutes after Bloxham been on, and went, oh, Bloxham's on. But <laughs> yeah, I think so. you know, Accrington naturally nicked that goal. Shut up, shop. And you know we struggle to we struggle to create chances against a team that are trying to attack us at the same time. As soon as they're not trying to attack, we've got we've got very little chance of carving something out. So, um, like you said, it just kind of petered out to a nothing, especially with ten men as well. It's even more, more difficult to create those chances. Um, but I'd just say point on Pike coming on. He didn't do a lot, but he's quite quick. He went down the line at one point and he was really fast. If we could like get him running fast at people, he might have a point to prove. But um, I was just surprised by how quick he was. I'd never seen that from him before. He went down the yeah. line one time and he was rapid. Um, yeah, he was yeah. rapid in that one run. He did two runs to knee in the game. Um, and, yeah, bless his cotton socks. Um, he I don't know why he's been runs. hiding that. He should do that more often. Yeah, it makes you wonder, you know, what would he do if he was played up front? <laughs> Probably not yeah, a lot. He did kind of get, <laughs> no, he did get a, he did get a run up front, sort of in an attacking 
attacking position rather than right wing back this week. But um, chasing the game with ten minutes very difficult to judge what his impact yeah. on the game was. But um, he's there or thereabouts. It's funny he came on before Bloxham, which was I thought was really interesting, Ollie. Um, when you look at kind of pecking order strikers and stuff. But um, maybe maybe he has impressed the manager in pre-season. We'll, we'll find out. But he's, he's here. He's involved. Um, I suspect he's going to be involved for quite a while. I don't think we're going to be you know bringing in enough new players in to make it that he's not going to be involved at all. So yeah, I think we might have to get used to a bit more pike than maybe we did at the, the sort of middle middle end of last season really but um, it's his chance to turn everyone around isn't it everyone, everyone gets a chance um, and all that sort of thing so we'll, we'll wait and see um, but that was it really uh, just one thing we're reflecting on again um, some boos on the final whistle um, I would agree with most people majority of them aimed at the referee who did get the, the fans right round up a little bit more than I thought he probably deserved he wasn't great but he certainly didn't cost us the game we cost ourselves the game and it, I, I kind of hate that narrative when we get someone sent off or you know a referee hasn't been brilliant and everyone's like well that's what cost us the game even 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 I was going to say Ricketts and even Cottrell was trying to indica- indicate that but frankly when you watch that game and you've watched it dispassionately today you can only really blame us for the reason we didn't get three points or at least a point out of it not the referee um, but um, yeah I, I, I thought that there were some boos aimed at the performance a little bit as well um, maybe not a huge amount but you know not great to hear boos on, on the final whistle anyway um, but yeah just uh, muted response as well you know boos and then just a here we go again kind of feeling wasn't it Mike like you indicated uh, yeah I think it's it's one of those I think the boos were pretty much all for the ref. I don't think they were booing the team. First time game of the season. If you're booing the team off first time game of the season and they've been beat one nil after having one sent off, you need to have a look at yourself. I, you know, you've got to give the team, you know, it's a classic old 10 games before um, you can form an opinion. So I think it was mostly for the ref. Um, but equally, I think we're so used yeah. to booing now. People just do it through practice rather than anything else. Oh dear, it's not great, is it? It would it would have been so good, Ollie, to have started this first these first two games with a win, or at least a, a home game start a win and get some positivity going. But uh, just the way it happened and and the the kind of similar patterns that have occurred, it, it's 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 you can't. I am disappointed after Saturday. That's my view. I've come away from that game feeling disappointed in what we've done and 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 what the outcome is. And that, I didn't want to feel that. I wanted to start the season with some positive vibes. All right, it's two games in, so you can't get too disappointed. But I, you know, I was disappointed about what happened on Saturday. Um, and I'm hoping for better at. Uh, Carlisle this week at home or Wickham away um, which I'll be at both of those games so hopefully I can see us get a win there but yeah just a shame not to kick off the season with a bit of with a bit of a win and a bit of let's all get this going sort of thing yeah disappointing we've got more more red cards than goals after two games which is disappointing <laughs> and and I also thought I thought I don't think we played as well as we did against Morecambe and it'd be interesting to get Mike's opinion on this like, mm. I don't feel like the three four three with the personnel we have today works. I, I find it a bit. I find it. I think we're quite defensive. So you've got Lee mm. playing quite defensive in a more defensive role than we saw him last season. We're next to Moore, so you've got two defence midfielders in front of in front of um, three big central defenders. Obviously, of the wing backs tuck in. That's normal. And then we've also got then we've got two number tens. And Bayliss and Shipley, you have to run and get in and get back into really defensive positions and really support the team. And then we've talked about Bowman's playing up front on his own, and and we've all disagreed that while we like Bowman, we think he's a decent player, and he, you know, he's he's, he's a he's he's not a leading striker in terms of he's not a target man, and he needs support. And I just feel feel the whole team just seems, I don't know, too defensive in terms of mm. in terms of personnel. And then also your instructions as well. I think I find Bayliss and, and Shipley are, are being asked to do too much. 
They have to peg it back when we when we give the ball away, which we do a lot. So they have to get back into defensive positions. They get back into defensive positions, we get the ball. We do like to attack quickly, so the ball goes pinging forward to Bowman, who uh, who is invariably outnumbered and completely on his own. Shipley and Bayliss and the wing backs have to run up again. And it just it just didn't it didn't seem to have any flow, we couldn't keep the ball. Um, and as as Glyn said, we, we looked we looked threatening when we hit on the counter, but but too often our attacks were were limp. There we looked a bit, and I will say we look a bit, I don't know, a little bit dysfunctional, and a little bit I don't know. It just doesn't feel like we're attacking with any impetus at the moment, Mike. I don't know. Mm. I've obviously rambled on for a bit there, but what was your kind of view no. of, of how we're playing? I think you pretty much spot on. I I, I think if you're playing three really big solid centre halves, they're all not bad passes of the ball. I don't think you need two defensive midfielders at that point because with the three centre-halves you hope one could step up into midfield and make that link between them and, and so I'd, I'd rather see either a Leahy or a Moore and then push another body up the pitch because I think like you say when we when we stifle an attack from the opposition when we look to then turn that into a counter we've only got one or two people in their half or it's really hard to get bodies back up and you're running the legs out of our midfielders but I thought the two tens didn't really work I thought Shipley was basically anonymous um, yeah. and I thought Bayliss was trying to get things done but he He's the sort of player that needs a bit of space and a bit of time and to drop into different pockets. And I think they just shackled him quite well. He was trying to play different passes. I said to you, Glenn, didn't I? He's not, he doesn't pass it sideways and backwards. He's trying to go forward. He's trying to put it into areas where there's space. Um, so I quite liked his approach to the game to try and do something a bit different. But when you're know, you know, when you're turning defence to attack and you've got Bayliss and, and um, Bowman, is basically what you're trying to build something with until everybody else catches up. More often than not, you get caught out and, and then nick the ball off you because they get crowded out, like you say. So... I think the shape's a bit odd, yeah. um, and it's built it's built not to concede, and then possibly to score on the uh, on the counter if you can. What I didn't like about it, Ollie, I, I just yeah, I think you both touched on it. I can't really say too much more. I'll, I'll say two things really, which was I didn't like how deeply he and Moore both were. I thought they were way too deep for most of the game. I can understand it when we got ten, but um, you know Moore was relying on his long range of passing, and I didn't think Lee he really crossed the halfway line too many times. Like, and we were getting more out of him in attacking positions. To sit him so deep seemed like a complete waste. Um, maybe that's where Bennett will end up playing, and it'll allow Lee to go forward when he's fit. But um, maybe that's a long term plan. But who knows? Um, and the other thing for me, Mike's just touched on it there, but we we were so high. On on, on um, Shipley in the pre-season podcast we did, Ollie, and, and talked to, uh, you know, I said he's my most exciting signing. I would say out of everybody who played on Saturday, um, taking away the, the moronic moments from Morosi and Flanagan, they both probably had decent games, I think, to be honest with you. But I was hugely underwhelmed by Shipley, quite disappointed, actually. You know, he got um, quite uh, frustrated watching him during the game. Maybe after 20 minutes, he was kind of shouting back at a few of the defenders to be passing the ball quicker. I think Dunkley delayed on the ball once in the game and he, he was shouting out and then it kind of disrupted him. And I'm not sure where he played was was really where we need him. You know, I, I, That's going I back to my, position, really, my point really about the, the one minute they were being yeah. asked to play as number 10s and the next minute they're being mm. told... They're being told to protect two defence midfielders who are protecting yep. a back three. And I, I think <laughs> I'd mad, be frustrated if I was ship police because they're being told to yeah. get forward and attack. And then we don't win the ball. We'd lose the ball. Um, Stanley switched the ball really well. Um, they, they had a good game plan in terms of trying to exploit the spaces. And then they have to leg it back again. So I, I think mm. obviously your criticism of, of his performances is fair. But I think also at the yeah. same time, these being the context that he was being asked to do a lot, and I just don't yeah, think the balance of the team works at all. You can't, you can't. I've, I've never. What I don't understand why we're playing two defence midfielders 
with three with three in defence. I thought one defence midfielder with a back three was was defensive, let alone two. And with the player personnel that we've got there, you could play. I don't know. You could play almost a, a defensive midfielder. Then you could play. Um, you know. You could play almost like a midfield diamond, couldn't you, or something? You could do something a bit mm. different. Rather than just having two sitters and two shuttlers, you could have had one sit in, two in the middle, and then told Bayliss or Shipley or swap it around. You're going to play as a genuine so, number yeah. 10 off Bowman. But we seem to be asking Sharon to get them to do everything. Yeah, and what you're talking about, it really condenses our team. So when we drop back and you've got the two defensive midfielders and the two 10s drop in as well, then that when they win the ball... They're really condensed, so they're trying to play passes out in a really tight area yeah. with the opposition all over them. So then we lose it on the edge of our own box and create our own problems. Like if there was a few more bodies up the pitch and you could trust the one defensive midfielder and one of the centre half of that area in front of the box, um, then they'd have an out ball when they got it. But at the moment they get it and then they've got to pop it off two yards sideways and, and they get smothered by the opposition. So we, when we nick it, we generally give it back because we're, we're, we're just all over each other, falling all over each other half time. Yeah, and Bowman, poor Blessing. There's no width options. Yeah, there's no width options when we do get the ball. It's quite narrow. But then when Bowman, Blessing does get the ball, sometimes he's got two central defenders and their fullback to compete against. Yep. Yeah, yeah he's always, yeah, he's always outnumbered. It's a fair point. Yeah, I think, Ollie, this is a fair point to have brought up for a first game. I suspect we will go back to playing two, two up front and this will change as we go on through the season. But I think it's, it's a fair observation from this game particularly. And, you know, we're starting to look at the tactics of the season where we're working in it. And it was de- it was defensively minded. So um, that's fine. But let's just touch a little bit as we wrap this game up now because we've been going on for a while, lads. Um, uh, Ollie, on top threes, really, I'll start you off with mine. Pretty easy. Um, I thought Shay Dunkley was absolutely fantastic on Saturday. Uh, um, by far the man of the match for me. Um, won all his headers. Looked good, actually, bringing the ball out of defence a couple of times and passing it on. Didn't seem to have a mistake in him. I thought really, really good. I, th- I think, like Mike mentioned, we've replaced good players with good players, but I would agree with Mike when he said that Dunkley looks like a little bit of an upgrade on Ebanks. I think that's a, a fair point. Um, so, yeah, Dunkley man of the match for me. To cost a second, just because uh, of that half that half an hour before and after half time. Um, where he really stood out as being a, an attacking player. And I didn't think he was awful defensively other than for the goal. But um, as we saw with Trent Alexander-Arnold on Liverpool's first game, you know, even world-class right-packs can make mistakes when the ball's in the air. Um, and Bayless for me, um, you know, of, of, uh, you know, looking at the two attacking midfielders, I thought he had a good spell, um, linked a few things up um, and, yeah, looked like a decent player until he got subbed off early. I wonder whether that's because he's maybe just not quite up to speed yet, but um, I thought he was decent enough. So that was my top three. Um, what about you, Mike? Um, I went for De Costa first, purely because I'm thinking back to the game. If we were ever going to get anything out of it, I felt like he was going to create it and, and make it. I thought he was our only real uh, consistent and, and effective attacking threat. Um, the point about him being at fault for the goal, he was trying to defend a man that shouldn't have been his. You know, He was there because um, Flanagan got sent off. So a little bit of sympathy for him on, on missing that one. Um, I went for more second. I thought he did a really good job in the centre of the park. Um, one of our mates mentioned in the week that he'd done an interview saying he wasn't very comfortable playing central midfield. So yeah. I thought he, he acquitted himself quite well considering he's not used to it. And um, he was very solid at breaking the ball up on a few of his sort of release passes to, you know, when, when our fullbacks were high or, or getting uh, Bowman in were quite effective. So I thought he did the defensive and the attacking bit well. Um, and I went for Dunkley third. Um, he, probably, he probably suffers a little bit from the, you know, you don't applaud your postman for delivering the post. You know, he, he was brilliant at winning all the headers. But that is what he's there to do. He just won a lot of them. So he was he was standout. But um, I think he'd probably think that was a routine day at the office because that's what he's there to do. But um, yeah, I enjoyed watching him. And like I say, I think he's probably a slight upgrade on on, um, on Ebanks because he's better with the ball, I think. 
Yeah, I went for Dunkley. I thought he had a fantastic game, as we've talked about, winning tackles and winning a lot of headers. He had a really faultless game. Um, I then went for Pennington. I thought he had a really standout game as well. I thought he, yeah, he did good. well on the ball. Um, he, he won a lot of tackles, a lot of headers as well. He was good performance. Da Costa, yeah, unfortunately, he didn't um, have... Um, that you know he didn't kind of do well in terms of the goal, but overall he was our, one of our best attacking threats. Um, and for me, also just kind of an honourable mention, I think for for Bayless as well, because I thought he, he did a decent job as well. Um, mm. I thought we you know everyone, you know, League One players will make mistakes, so we, we give them for that. But I thought he was, I thought he was out of the midfield four. He he was definitely the best for me. We pretty much mentioned every player on this podcast. I would just have a quick word for Nurse, who I think had one of those games where, when people think about some of the recruitment we could still do um, do with, um, probably put in a performance that makes you think a bit more left wing back would probably be better. Um, I mentioned this Nurse didn't I, one of those a few weeks ago. I feared we might become yeah. a little bit right centric. Yeah, so he didn't have a cracking game. His crossing was particularly poor. So um, yeah, work for him to do. But he has been good in general, so I'm not going to be too critical. But yeah, I think and he just showed that he's a slot, isn't he, to that left yeah. centre back role. And I was talking yep. to my mate Callum, um, and he was saying that you know a lot of teams that play back three have someone in their back back line who's maybe more of a full back and will push on. Um, and Nurse going to less centre back um, is yeah maybe an interesting option, um, and maybe will make a whole team be a bit more balanced. Okay, okay, let's wrap this one up. What did Steve Koch have to say? I, I actually listened to him. Um, I couldn't really disagree with too much he said this week, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, go and run through it quick, Ollie, and we'll yeah. So he he said that um, yeah, you know. And we created some chances. He didn't really understand. He didn't really understand the second yellow. He understood the first one. Um, he said we created some good opportunities. We have to score. He was quite critical of the goal. Um, you know, we could have closed in down, and yep. we got the wrong side. Um, so, yeah, obviously, yeah, Steve Cottrell was was wasn't too bad. Um, and yeah, he, he made fair comments. I think after the game, he did. He, Danny did say to him at one point, "Have you spoken to Flanagan about the incident?" And he just went, "Yeah." And then, and then moved Dunny on to the next question quite quickly. Because he realised <laughs> he wasn't Dunny's, Dunny's used to his vocal tics now, so um, at least he can deal with that. Um, that was it, really. Uh, well, just before we move on to a little bit of news, um, it was one really interesting thing in the programme, and I should just say, programme's now A5, sm- smaller, same kind of content in it. I thought it was quite good, actually, reading through it. Some really good articles in there. Um, fans doing their top 11, and the, the editing of it looks really cool. So uh, fair play to the media lads for bringing that together. It looks pretty good, to be fair. Um, but it was interesting. I was reading through Luke Leahy's um, captain's comments, and it just was a little interesting insight into maybe how Steve Cottrell works as a, as a manager and, and that interaction with the players, because we can only glean things sometimes about being in the dressing room through you know comments and thoughts like this really so my assumption would be you know Steve Cottrell brings Luke Lee into his into his into his uh, into his office a couple of weeks before the start of the season or even a week before the start of the season says Luke come here really enjoyed the work you did last season you've been a great ambassador to the club I'd like you to be club captain this season they shake hands and everything's uh, you know done in an official manner and um, you know that's kind of how I think you would assume people get made captain at a football club wouldn't it do you, do, do you know that Luke Leahy, the way he found out being our club captain this year, a position that I think fans place a lot of importance on, but as we talked about on the preseason pod, maybe isn't quite as important to a, a manager or, or particularly a team this year with so many leaders. They were on the bus to Morecambe and Shrewsbury Town announced Luke Leahy had been made captain on the Twitter account and Flanagan went up to Luke Leahy at the back of the bus, shook his hand and said, well done on being the skipper this season. And Luke Leahy went... What? I don't know what you're talking about. And then Luke Lee had to walk down to the front of the bus to talk to the manager, and, and apparently Steve Cotter said, oh yeah, you're captain this season. <laughs> it's like, that's staggering, isn't it? For me as a fan, I found that story absolutely fascinating. You, you can't think, Mike, that's how someone would find out they're going to be captain for a season, but that's how it happened. It was, that was how it was written in the programme. Fascinating. I I didn't know that. That's mental. And it, it does make you worry, like, is that the sort of attention to detail we have as a club, that we sort of just accidentally let the captain know that the captain's captain? You know, if that's that's something we're not communicating, 
what else are we not communicating? What else are we not covering off proficiently? I, I think that's really rather stunning. I don't know. I don't know whether Cockrell just assumed he'd guess he was captain, or um, he was going to tell him when they got there, or there was a, a, a miss. But I find that crazy that he hasn't been told before they're on the bus to Morecambe because you would think on, on match day from, from minute one when all the players get together he's captain from, from minute one he's not just captain when they get on the pitch he's club captain right yeah. so he would be making sure people are there on time he'd be organising you know things like lifts and, and you know kitties for things and that would start from the minute one so the fact that he didn't know is bananas I think but you know hey another crazy thing in the crazy Steve Cottrell reign I think probably I think it's just a huge missed opportunity as a manager, isn't it? As a manager and a leader of men, and you've got someone who seems quite passionate and, and proud and, you know, an uh, ambassador kind of figure in terms of Luke Leahy, would it have taken him any time out of his day to go, right, I'm going to give Luke Leahy a nice five minutes or do it in front of the lads or something, make something of it? Mm. But he just can't be fine. I mean, I don't... Th- it probably doesn't make Luke Lee he feel like being Shrewsbury Town captain is very important. I don't. It, makes him, it probably doesn't make him feel that. It's a, surely it's a nice important to Steve Cottrell's plans, you know. Surely a professional footballer yeah. likes being a captain. You know. Yeah. yeah but I imagine if if that was me, I'd think that the manager he just gave it to me. But he doesn't really put much stock in it. So no. you know, then do you lead by example if the manager doesn't think the captain's very good? It, it kind of erodes the, the position a little bit. I think maybe. Yeah. It's, maybe it's, we're reading too much into so it. Weird. It's yeah, weird. It's so weird it that it's weird. made me question what I read, right? And I've now gone back to the programme. I'm going to no, read no, you what true, this paragraph says. I've read it as well. And it said, yeah, it's really interesting. It says, um, da, 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 Lee was one of the last to be made aware. We were all on the bus to the way, on the way to Morecambe last Friday. We were playing Uno, and then Ryan Bowman came up to me and shook my hand and said, congrats, Skip. I thought he might be having me on, so I went to the front to make sure it was true with the manager, and the manager then confirmed it. So there you go. I wasn't mental. I did read that. But, yeah, what a weird little story. That's one of the, one of the most weird little stories I've kind of had covering town on, on this podcast over the years, Ollie. But there we go. It's, I think you, you two did it while I was popping out of the room to get the programme. So um, there we go. That was the last little bit of an interview I'd seen this week that I thought was fascinating. The most fascinating thing there is they play Uno. I wonder who the best Uno player is at the club. <laughs> My kids play, you know, we love it, it's great. It's a good game, it's a good game. Um, just while we talk about kids, um, probably just re- one of the things that's probably a little bit more important to kids than adults, or it should be, I suppose, because um, as we've talked about before, <laughs> no one ever thought you should really be wearing uh, football shirts to the football. It done, sometimes there's a bit of a stigma about that, isn't there? But yeah, yesterday was the first day for people to pick up their new ordered home shirts. Um, and yeah, I went up to the club shop and bought a couple on, on the morning because um, I'd forgotten to pre-order. I was away on holiday, but they had plenty to sell as well on Saturday, which I thought was really good. So I think overall, I was I was thinking I was hearing they probably got out 500 new shirts on Saturday and there were certainly lots of them around the ground. Um, my kids love it. They think it's really nice. Obviously, they've not had a shirt for a few years because I refused to buy them the, the yellow one last season. Um, and then the one before that, they were sort of still in. So I, I don't think we got one the season before. But yeah, they've now got their new town shirt. I think it looks quite smart on them, um, particularly particularly on the kids. I saw a few people saying it looks a bit bit more difficult the bigger sizes you've got. But I don't know, Mike, you saw it on Saturday on the kids and a few other people around us. What did you think of it in the flesh compared to the photos? Yeah, it looks all right. It's nice to be back in amber rather than yellow. Um, but I don't suppose there's a huge amount you can do with blue and amber stripes. You know, the, the, the sort of the spray paint effect on it, um, that might age a bit. It might look a bit dated in a few years' time. might look back and think it was a bit of an 80s-looking kit. But, um, yeah, it's just nice. On the pitch, you, you know, you don't really see that effect. It just looks like blue and amber stripes. So it looked tidy. It looked like the fit was all right. It looked like the quality was pretty good. Um, and I think that's been some of the criticism over the years is that, you know, necklines have been quite tight or brad badges haven't been embroidered and things like that. So it looks like a quality bit of kit. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's classic blue and amber. So can't complain, I don't think. Yeah, 
And Ollie, before I throw it to you, I think a few of the reflections I saw from some of the fans I was talking to on Saturday, not not our mates, some of the people I just have known for years through various other things, but a couple of comments I had were that the collar doesn't look as bad as it did in the photos and the amber stripe over the top is actually not too bad. So I think even some of those initial concerns we talked about when the pit kit was launched actually look a bit better in the flesh. So I, I personally think it'll be one of our, our better kits of recent years. It's a, say, I think it looks pretty decent, to be fair. I'm not going to buy one for myself. I think if I'm going to get a kit this season, I might get the away kit because I heard a few rumblings of what that might look like and it might be quite decent but yeah I think all in all most people who got that kit sounded pretty happy with it so that was a positive on Saturday yeah I think it's a nice kit and well done on the club for choosing it and I think also a special mention because not everyone might not know this but um, yeah Mike and Rog didn't they Glenn they they do a lot of work for the club Um, I don't think the fans probably realise how much work they do do and how um, how indefinitely are to their work that they do and yeah those kits wouldn't have been out if it wasn't for those guys so I think massive um, massive kudos to those guys 100% I say I went and had a chat with them on the morning about half past 10 when they were starting to give out the first kits uh, had a bit of a catch up about a few things and um, interestingly they were they were giving it out of this new building that's appeared um, next to the community hub the community hub's disappeared because they're building the new community hub now but um yeah, who knows what that builder might turn into? Um, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But um, yeah, fantastic, both of them. They they were telling me that they got the kits delivered on the Thursday night, and I th- think they were there pretty much most of the next day. Um, I think Roger had to take a bit of a day off work. Um, he was originally going to go to work and come back, but they did a hell of a job. And um, I should all. Also mentioned there was a lady called uh, Sue as well, who's the did the women's supporters days and officer as well. Um, she was helping them give them out on the day as well, so she she deserves a whole lot of credit. It's not just Mike and Roger. So um, yeah, they're, they're they're legends to be fair, both of them lads. Um, the, the work they do for this football club is sometimes maybe overlooked. Um, but when you think about everything they've been involved in through the sports parliament and then them leading as the SLOs from first safe stand in England to to helping out with get the kits done to organising all of the end of season awards to doing some of the open days over the years, um, the club should be very very thankful. They have people who are willing to put that much time into the club, unpaid. Um, and and yeah, we're we're lucky to have them. I think it's a fair comment, that, Ollie. Yeah, <laughs> just laughing, just looking at the time. The last podcast last week without you, Glenn, was forty minutes, and we're up to a bit over that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Who cares? Anyway, there we go. This week we've got two games, Ollie. Let's leave it at that. We're at home to Carlisle in the League Cup on uh, on on Tuesday, Tuesday night. Um, and then away at Wickham, where we never get any result, do we, at Wickham? So that might not be the easiest result. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've got to still be looking positive towards the season. Carlisle at home in the League score. Cup's a game we probably sh- should win. Yeah, we should score in the, the League Cup, you would hope, against Carlisle. Um, maybe less convinced we could score away at Wickham. But yeah, not 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 a hugely tough week in terms of the League Cup. But um, Wickham away will be difficult, Mike. We, we always seem to have a bad record there, don't we? Yeah, it's no fun to go there. Um, it's a long way. We never really get anything. Um, is that on I follow? They still do the I follow Tuesday nights. The League Cup Carlos is Tuesday night. Um, I, I oh right, okay, yeah, well, fair enough. Yeah. I ain't going to watch it anyway. And Saturday, oh, away yeah. at Wickham at three pm. So yeah, won't be on. on I'm Monday. away this week, so I haven't paid much attention. I'm going camping, so um, I'll write this week off. <laughs> so yeah, I think well, it'd be for me. It'd be a positive release score. Let's, let's go for that. Yeah, that's a positive. There we go. Well, we'll be back next week to cover both those games. I'm going to Wickham away, Ollie. I'm not sure what you're your ruminations are um, and I'm obviously going to go to Carlisle as well on Saturday uh, on Tuesday and take the kids as well go yeah. with a couple of mates so um, I'll be able to reflect on both games next week which is good so we'll be back in the swing of things we've got a couple of maybe got a couple of uh, well at least one special podcast lined up um, 
uh, potentially a bit of an interview coming up. We won't give the game away yet on that as well um, in the next few weeks. So a few things, a few wines in the fire now we're back at it. It's been a been a bit of a mental summer with work and, and with holidays and stuff, so we didn't quite uh, get as much done as we think we probably were going to. Um, but yeah, I think we'll be back in the swing of things now, Ollie. And it was good of you to join us, Mike, and get us back in the swing of things again following Poodoo last week. So yeah, uh, enjoy your camping trip and we'll, we'll catch up with you when you're back. Thanks, and thanks for having me back finally. It was, uh, yeah, it was good fun. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, fine. cheers, Mike. Thanks for joining us. And, yeah, Mum will be thanks delighted. Everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And, um, yeah, we'll be back again, back again next week. Good stuff. Catch you then.